0: This morning, since it's graduation Sunday morning, I thought I'd start off with a little bit of a quiz to see if any of y'all know this. And so I have a mission statement of a university I'm going to put up here on the screen. And I want you to see if you can guess in your mind what university had this as their mission statement when they were founded. Their mission when they were founded was this, that students will be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life, their life, and studies is to know God And Jesus Christ. So that was the founding mission statement in 1636 of a school that employed all Christian faculty. Their mission was to have excellent academics and to prepare ministers to go and to spread the good news of the gospel all around the United States of America. And this university, some of some of you guessed it. I heard somebody say is Harvard University. 1636. We have their logo here, and you see in the middle. Uh, the middle crest is still part of their logo, Veritas, which means truth. And then around the edge, you'll see Christo Ecclesiae, which means Christ in the church. And so originally, their mission was to spread truth for Christ and his church. And then after about 80 years, a group of people felt like, you know what? It's coming a little secularized. They're kind of drifting away from this, moving away from God and their emphasis on preparing ministers. And so they said, you know what? We, we got to do something about this. So they kind of left, they got together, uh, a philanthropist, got together a lot of money, and they founded another institution. And this institution, they took the word Veritas from Harvard, which means truth, and they added to it a lux, truth and light, and that was kind of their crest. And do you know what university that was? That was Yale. That was Yale University just 80 years later when it had its founding. And a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Harvard um, to the business school commencement where my friend Justin was graduating with his MBA. And, you know, you go to Harvard and you're surrounded by such history and kind of gravitas. And Oprah was giving the commencement speech for the undergrads. You know, it's a big deal when she's talking. And then you had uh, some business person who would started 100 businesses speaking at, at the business commencement. And as I walked around, I mean, you could tell this was a place of true academic excellence But in all the speeches, all the buildings now, you could really tell from the conversations that um, the emphasis on the church and Christ and preparing disciples, that had faded away a long time ago. And so both of these institutions, they started at their founding with this commitment to strong academics and Christian discipleship. And yet somewhere along the way, one of them faded. And thinking about the situation of what happened at Harvard and Yale. Writer Peter Greer says what happened there is what is called mission drift. Mission drift, and that's the technical term for when an organization, a university, a school, a business drifts, it moves away from its original mission and its original purpose, from what its priorities were and its focus were in the beginning. (coughs) And Peter Greer says that this happens a lot of times slowly, Over time, a lot of times it's like a current. You don't really notice the drift. It just kind of goes gradually until one day things have changed. And if you think about the maybe organizations you're part of, if you even think about the relationships in your life and other things, everything tends to drift from the original intention if you let it. You have to be intentional to keep the main things the main thing. And churches aren't immune from this. Churches aren't immune from Mission Drift. And Mission Drift helps explain why some churches are thriving and some churches are merely just surviving. Why some churches, if you go to downtown Atlanta, now they've been turned into nightclubs and condos and expensive lofts and why other churches are building food pantries and and clothes closets. This helps explain why some churches kind of look and act like country clubs and why other churches really reflect the book of Acts and the early church that we read about here. And the truth is that any organization, and especially the church, if we're not intentional, if we're not prioritizing coming back to our mission and keeping the main thing the main thing, then eventually we'll drift away from it. A lot of times slowly and not intentionally, and we'll find ourselves doing other things that aren't important. And so this morning I want us to look at the Scriptures together, and I want us to look again at the heart of Harvest Point, to look at who we're really called to be. And so to do that, I want to look at some words from our founder, Jesus Christ. And when we look at the words of Jesus Christ, I want to look at some words that he says in Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 10. Because throughout his ministry, Jesus was constantly equipping the disciples, teaching the disciples, and then before he went into heaven, he was giving them a clear mission on what they were called to do and who they were called to be. And so if we want to know who we're supposed to be, this is the best place to look. And so when we look at Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 35 and continue from there. And if if you don't have a Bible, we have some free ones at the Welcome Center. I'd love for you to grab one of those on the way out. But Matthew tells us this in verse 35, that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease... And sickness. And here, when Matthew says he he went to all the towns and villages, he's talking about the, the Sea of Galilee region, that kind of region that he was in. That's the setting for everything. And then, as Jesus was going, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so if you've ever wondered why we're called Harvest Point, well, here's a reference. We see references to the harvest all throughout the Bible. And here Jesus is saying, look, spiritual seeds have been planted in different people. They've been growing in their relationship and their understanding of God. And he's saying, look, now is the time of the harvest to help bring people into the kingdom of God. And I need your help. I want your help. Pray that the Lord would send out workers into the harvest to help with this great work. And immediately after Jesus says this, the prayers are answered as he calls the twelve disciples to him. And then he gives them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then we find the names of the twelve disciples. First, Simon, who's called Peter and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. And Matthew tells us that these twelve, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And if you look at the, the things that Jesus tells them to do, the mission that he gives them, we find that actually it's pretty close. It's almost identical to what we find Jesus doing in verse 35. Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, and he went out. And he healed every disease and sickness. He demonstrated mercy to people. And then he calls these disciples. He says, look, I'm giving you authority to go out, to share this message of the kingdom and to demonstrate mercy to other people. And then before he died and after he rose again, he gives this same message to the church. He says, look, I'm calling you to go out. Share the message I've given you to demonstrate mercy To all people. And really, what Jesus is saying here and throughout the Bible when he's talking to the disciples who make up the church, he says, Look, you're called to join me in my mission. Jesus calls us, his church, to join him in his mission. And now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, we are his hands and feet. His work is now our work. We're called to do what he did. And so when we're trying to figure out, hey, as a church, what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? What is our original mission? All we have to do is go back and look at the life of Jesus. Because he gives us the pattern. He gives us our mission of what we're supposed to do. And as you look closely at this passage, you'll you'll find a few different key things that Jesus focused on as he lived out his mission. And the first thing you'll find is that Jesus' mission had a very clear motivation. He says that when the crowds were pressing in on him, when people were coming and asking for miracles, and and people were trying to get a, a glimpse of this celebrity preacher, that he had compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, any, we got any country people here who work with sheep? Anybody work with sheep in here? Okay. I don't know what sheep without a shepherd are like, so I have to look on YouTube and, you know, go on Google and everything. What are sheep like without a shepherd? Okay. <laughs> he says they're stupid. All right, they kind, they, they kind of wander. They kind of wander about aimlessly. They do their own thing. They, they get lost easily. They get stuck in fences. I went on YouTube because I was like, you know, I need to illustrate this. Get a video in here. It's just sheep wandering around, blocking roads and and doing dumb things like he said. They're prone to wonder, and then as they wonder, they're prone to danger because they're not protected. They're walking in roads. They're going near enemies that they don't realize. And Jesus, he could have had anger at the crowd. He could have had resentment. He could have said, you know what? Get away from me. I need a little space. But instead, when the crowd was pressing in on him, he had compassion. And another way to translate compassion there is his heart went out to them. Because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. And Jesus knew that God desired for them not to be lost, but to be people who knew God's love. To be people who were on the path that God designed for them. And his heart broke for them. He had compassion and his compassion ultimately led him to action. And so as a church, one of the first things we have to realize is that if we're going to join Jesus in his mission, we need to have his same motivation in all the things that we do. Our motivation doesn't need to be to to get bigger buildings or to make a big name for ourselves or to be popular. Our motivation needs to be compassion and it needs to be love. And if you look at our world, it's not hard to see that the world is desperately in need right now, right? Right? A lot of people in our world are wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of brokenness. People are facing financial crises. People are facing discrimination in their homes and in their workplaces. People are facing all sorts of major things in life. People are down. They're lost. They don't know where to go. They're wandering. And when we see the world like this, we're called to have compassion. Not judgment, compassion. And this week, we saw it again right on Friday in Santa Fe with another school shooting. And I don't know if you saw this news clip, but there was one girl, her interview stuck out to me because she was asked if she was surprised that this happened in her small town. And I don't know if you saw her answer. She said, no. No, I'm not surprised. It's been happening everywhere, and I always felt like eventually it would happen here too. My heart went out to her because... That's the world we live in, that a lot of us live in. We live with this constant sense of fear and with dread, wondering when the next bad thing is going to happen. There's so much brokenness out there. And when we see and when we live in a world with all of this brokenness, it's easy to just kind of build up walls, right? Turn off the television try to ignore it until the next thing happens. It's easy to just try to put it out of our minds and to have what some people call compassion fatigue. Y'all ever heard that term? That's when there's so many things to care about you just get tired and you just stop caring about anything. And that's my temptation for sure. But Jesus, he didn't do that. He didn't build up walls around his heart. He didn't shield himself from other people in need. He didn't turn a blind eye to all the things going on in the world. Instead, he turned towards them. His heart went out to people, and he had compassion, and he loved them. That was his motivation behind his mission, and that's supposed to be our motivation as well. And as Jesus was living out his mission, we see that one of the key components of his mission was the message that he shared. Because over and over again, and the bulk of the Gospels is Jesus preaching... And teaching, and we see Matthew telling us that Jesus' message was this, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And when he sent out his disciples, he sent them out to go and share this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And now I grew up in church. I grew up going to every single vacation Bible camp every year. I did confirmation. I was in youth group. I was in all this stuff. And yet, growing up, I never really felt like this phrase, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, was even talked about that much. But when we look at the Bible, this is a thread that runs throughout the entire thing. And it wasn't until later in life when I began to learn more about the kingdom of heaven, which which is the same thing as the kingdom of God. They're they're interchangeable. Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven here. And so to help us understand what this message of the kingdom of heaven means, it's best to, to first think about, what the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is not. And so if we think of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God as different than the kingdom of this world, and we think about our world, when we look at our world, we know that our world is characterized, like we talked about a minute ago, by a lot of sin, by a lot of brokenness, by violence, by anger, by destruction that people are living out in their hearts. We know there is a lot of chaos, and deep down... All of us know that this isn't really how it was created to be, right? We long for something different because we say this can't be all there is to life. This can't be what God meant for it to be. Even people who don't profess faith in God know something's not right here. And that's accurate. Something's not right because when we look at Genesis, when we go back to the beginning, we see in the beginning everything was created and everything was good. Everything was good. God was king. He was the creator. We were his creation. Adam and Eve lived in perfect obedience and harmony and love with God until they said, you know what, God? We want to rule ourselves. We want to be the king of our own lives. We want to be the captain of our own ships. We don't really want to listen to you anymore. And God honors the freedom that we have, and he gives us the freedom to choose. And so what happened is Adam and Eve and everybody since then, what we do is we say to God, God, you know what? I'm going to be king of my own kingdom. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And what does that lead to? It leads to chaos. It leads to brokenness. It leads to violence. Because I say, you know what? Killing people when I'm angry, that's okay. And you say, no, it's not. But then there's chaos there. I say, you know what? I'm going to take what I want when I want because it's how I want to do it. And that leads to to just craziness in our world and looting and all sorts of stuff. When we're living however we want, whenever we want, how we want, and we're being our own king, sin and chaos and brokenness reign because we weren't created to rule ourselves. Instead, we were created to be under God, to follow God's path for our lives. And so, in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus into this world, the king himself, to come and to show us what the kingdom of God was like. And when Jesus came into this world, the kingdom of God began to break into our world. And Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, he showed us what the kingdom was like. And Jesus said, look, I know the kingdom of this world, it's full of anger, but my kingdom is full of love and forgiveness. The kingdom of God is full of compassion It's full of second chances. But in your world, you're petty. You don't forgive people. You hurt people when you're mad at them. Your kingdom, when you're living on your own, is full of anxiety and stress and worry. My kingdom is full of peace. Your kingdom is full of sadness. My kingdom is full of joy. Jesus came and he said, look, the kingdom I'm bringing, it's different than this world. It's different than the kingdoms you've known. In my kingdom, the poor are lifted up. The humble are raised up. And he invited people to come and be a part of this kingdom, a kingdom of forgiveness, of wholeness, of healing and salvation. And Jesus said, look, the way to enter into my kingdom is simple. All you have to do is to say, I want to stop being my own king. I want to stop ruling myself, and I want to submit myself to God and follow His way for my life. I want to follow His will. And that's called repentance, when we turn from an old way of life to a new way of life. And if we repent and if we believe that Jesus is truly the King, that He came, He lived and died for us, and He rose again, then we can enter into the kingdom of God. And that's the message that the disciples shared as they went out and they proclaimed the kingdom of God has come near. They were saying, look, the king of heaven has come to earth. And now the kingdom of heaven is breaking into our world. And so their message was, look, one day we're going to share in eternity where the kingdom of God is going to be in all of its fullness. And there's going to be no more tears, no more suffering, no more shame, no more guilt, none of that. But you don't have to wait to take part in that kingdom now. You can enter into it and you can begin experiencing forgiveness, love, joy, and salvation even now because the kingdom of God has come near. All you have to do is repent and believe and make Jesus your king. That was the message that they proclaimed all around the world. And that was the message that the author of Acts, Luke says, turned the world upside down because people who were lost were suddenly found. People who were wandering began to walk on the path of God and their lives were transformed radically for the good. And this is the message that Jesus calls us to proclaim as a church. He calls us to share the good news of the kingdom with other people. And I know sometimes when we think of sharing the message of Jesus and good news, we, we start thinking, well, what if people ask me this? Or I don't know enough about the Bible, and I don't know about Leviticus and everything going on in that book of the Bible. And we think, okay, I just can't do it. But sharing the message of the good news of the kingdom is pretty simple. Because if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, all you have to do is tell your own personal story. All you have to do is tell people what your life was like when you were living on your own when you were trying to rule your own life and how that worked out for you, tell people how you came to know Jesus, what he did for you, how he transformed your life. And then tell people what your life is like now. Now that Jesus is the king of your life and you're a citizen of his kingdom. That's all you have to do. Tell them what your life was like before Jesus was king, how he became your king, and now how your life is with him as your king how you're living in this kingdom of salvation and forgiveness and love. And Jesus, the amazing thing about his ministry is he didn't just preach this message about the kingdom, he also demonstrated it, he put it into action. And so we see Matthew telling us that Jesus went around and he was healing the sick, he was casting out demons, he was feeding the hungry, he was giving sight to the blind, and all these things that right now, you know, we're like, wow, that's kind of crazy stuff. And a lot of times we can look at this and we can ask ourselves, why was Jesus doing all of this stuff? I mean, why didn't Jesus just like travel the world and give lectures to people? Why was he wasting his time on these people? Why didn't Jesus just start a YouTube channel and spread his good news that way, right? Why didn't Jesus just take a break and relax and go on a cruise or something? Why didn't Jesus just build a fortress, build a palace? He's the king. But the reason... Jesus didn't do any of that. The reason Jesus did this ministry of healing, of demonstrating mercy to all people, was because He wanted to make the kingdom of God real in their lives. And so when He healed somebody of blindness, He was pointing to the future kingdom, to eternity when there will be no more blindness. When he fed hungry people, he was pointing them to the reality that God desires that no one be hungry. And that in God's kingdom, when it comes in its fullness, no one will be hungry. Jesus forgave people of their sins because he was pointing to the future, that in the kingdom of God that's here and now and coming fully in the future, there will be forgiveness And there will be salvation for all people. Jesus gave people new life because the kingdom is characterized by new life. He was demonstrating in the flesh what the kingdom of God was like. And he calls us to do the same. He calls us to demonstrate mercy to other people. And so as a church, we have to constantly keep that at the forefront of what we're doing, of our activities. And so yesterday, we do this in small ways. We went to the Geranium Festival. Anybody go to the Geranium Festival? Okay, all right, yeah, saw a lot of y'all there eating some tomato sandwiches and fried pickles and all that good stuff. At the Draining Festival, we gave out over 700 balloons to children. And now, that's kind of a small thing, right? It's like, okay, it's just a balloon. But you should have seen the kids' faces when these angry kids in strollers who were hot and hungry received that free balloon. When they received that free gift, they didn't do anything to earn it. They didn't do anything to deserve it. They didn't have to beg mom for it. We simply said, hey, here's a free balloon. You should have seen the joy on their faces. And as we gave them those balloons, we were simply saying to them, hey, this is a free gift. Here's some joy because God's kingdom is full of joy and we want to spread that joy. Our our PALS program and our children's ministry... We reach out to kids and we love them and want to have a safe place for them to grow and to learn. Because Jesus said, children have a special place in my kingdom. A lot of times our world thinks children are worthless. Babies are worthless. Treat them as objects. That's what we do in our world. Jesus says in my kingdom, they're super valuable. The kingdom of heaven, he says, belongs to them. And so we value children here. We reach out to them in love. We help shape them. It's why we have our care ministry. It's why we serve people meals when they're going through crises and they're grieving. Because it's a tangible way of saying, look, God is with you. And we know right now we're balancing the the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. But one day things are going to be different. And there's going to be no more tears and suffering. And we're pointing people to that time when they will experience love and joy in Christ's presence eternally. We're called to demonstrate mercy. We're called to share Jesus' message of the kingdom. We're called to have his motivation of compassion. Ultimately, at Harvest Point, our heart is to join Jesus in his mission in the world. And reflecting on all of this... uh, David Platt, who's head of missions for the Southern Baptist Church, he tells the story about a ship that was commissioned in the 1940s. And the ship was commissioned to be built by Mr. Gibbs and by a shipping company, and the ship eventually became the SS United States. And now I think we have a picture of the ship here for you. But when the ship was built, it was... Quite the thing. There it is. It costs $80 million. It could carry 15,000 troops. It could go 51 miles per hour. It could be anywhere in the world within 10 days. And it could go 10,000 miles without fuel or supplies. They spent a lot of effort and energy building this troop carrier. But what's interesting about this ship is that it never really became active for carrying troops and active in battle. It was called up one time during the Cuban Missile Crisis to go on standby, but then after that it was actually converted into a luxury liner. And so they converted it, and so instead of carrying troops, it carried presidents and heads of state and dignitaries and all of that, and they rearranged a lot of the stuff inside of there, and when they were done... It couldn't carry 15,000 people. It could only carry 2,000 people. And it had 695 staterooms, four dining salons, three bars, two theaters, five acres of open deck with a heated pool, 19 elevators, and the comfort of the world's first fully air-conditioned passenger ship. And reflecting on all of this, David Platt says, the church has something to learn from this ship and its transition. Because the church as Jesus desires it is to be a lot more like a battleship than a cruise ship. And I don't know if you've ever been on a battleship or or been on a cruise ship, but they're very different places. A, A cruise ship, it's all about comfort, right? And you expect to be served. You go on a cruise ship to relax and to sleep and they make those little fancy swans out of towels. That's amazing, right? Have have down service and you get your chocolates. You go on your excursions and you really, you don't think about other people. You just think about yourself because that's what you're there for. And success for a cruise ship is based on how many people come on the cruise. It's based on your personal experience and how you felt about it. A cruise ship is, is measured by how much cash it brings in every year. And if it doesn't bring in enough, then they, you know, shut it down or send it to do something else. And all of that is very, very different from a battleship. Because a battleship, it's created for a mission. It's not created for the comfort of the people on board. It moves quickly, a lot quicker than a cruise ship. All of the resources are aligned to achieve the mission. And people on board, they know what they're there for. They know they're there to be equipped and to be sent out to serve other people in the world. Every one on board has a commanding officer, and they listen to them, and ultimately a cruise ship is deemed successful. A, mission, a battleship is deemed successful if it completes its mission. And the church is meant to be more like a battleship. Because we have a mission. That is too important to just sit back and to go slowly and to think about ourselves all the time. Our mission is to join Jesus in his mission and to become a place of harvest, a harvest point, a place where people can enter into the kingdom of God and experience all that he desires for them. Forgiveness, love, eternal life, joy, and salvation. That's who God created us to be. And so I know some of you, you got cruises planned for the summer, and I hear Disney is one of the best cruise ships. That's what people tell me in this church. And I say that, you know, let's let Disney do the cruises. And let's us as a church continue to join Jesus in his mission. Continue to serve people as we have since our very first day. Continue to proclaim his message. Continue to demonstrate his mercy. Continue to be motivated By love because this is a mission given to us by the creator of the world. This is a mission given to us by Jesus Christ. And this is a mission that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, when you read, it's pretty clear that this mission is a dangerous one. It's a risky one. And he says, look, it might cost you your reputation, it might cost you your friends, it might cost you your comfort and this old way of life that you're used to. But he says, it's worth it. It's worth all of the sacrifice because that's what I've created you for. And in his ministry, when Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom, some people joined in and they experienced new life here and now and eternal life in the future. But other people, they said, you know what, I, I just can't do it. I just can't give up being king of my own life. And so they walked away. My hope is that as a church in this season, that we will return to our mission, that the heart of Harvest Point will be aligned with the heart of Jesus and that we'll take the risks and we'll say it's worth it. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the mission that he came into this world to bring about. God, we thank you for his heart of compassion that reaches out to every single one of us for his heart of love that forgives us, and his heart of love that transforms us. God, we thank you for his message, for his mercy. And God, as Jesus said, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, we ask today that as a church, you would help send us out as workers in the harvest field. People who are sold out for you. People who are committed to serving others, so that they might enter into the kingdom of God. And this morning as we remain in a posture of prayer, I just want to acknowledge that I know there are some people here who who don't feel like they're citizens of God's kingdom or they've ever really surrendered their life to Jesus and and made Him their king. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel like you're lost or you're wondering or you've been trying to do things on your own. But today God is speaking to your heart. His love is calling out to you. And you want to say to Him, God, I'm tired tired of doing it on my own. I'm sorry for ignoring you and going my own way, but today I want to turn from that way of life and I want to turn and make you my king. Because I believe in you and your son Jesus and what he did for me on the cross and that he rose again. And if that's you this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to to respond to that and to make Jesus your king and it's simply through prayer. So if that's you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer for me to simply say God, God, I'm, I'm sorry for living my own way. Please forgive me for my sins and for all the ways I've strayed from you. God, today I want to make Jesus my king. I turn from my old way of life and I turn towards you. And I ask that you would Give me forgiveness and salvation and make me a citizen of the kingdom of God. And If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to let you know that that you're now in the kingdom. Jesus has promised that you will experience forgiveness for your sins. And that you don't have to wait until eternity to go to heaven, but actually you can begin living a new life here and now before you get to heaven. So if that was you this morning and and you'd like to acknowledge that with us, would you simply just raise your hand and and lift it up so we we can celebrate you? Amen. And if you're here and you feel like you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, And you feel like God has called you to join him in this mission. If you're willing to be a worker in the harvest field, if you're willing to go out and to join him in the mission, would you simply raise your hand today? And to say once again, Jesus, I'm willing to join you in your mission. Okay, you can put them down. God, we're here. We're here and we celebrate the person who today said, I want you to be king of my life, God. We know there's rejoicing in heaven right now and we rejoice too. And God, we rejoice that you have called us as a church to be a place of harvest. You've called us to go out and to help people know your love and your grace. You've called us to join you in your mission and we pray that you would help us to continue to do that every single day. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would y'all celebrate the one person who who said they want to make Jesus their king today? Amen. This morning, would you stand as we sing our final song together?